You're listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a resource to equip the church to make more and better disciples for Jesus Christ. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the More and Better Disciples podcast. I'm your host, Keith Caps, here with Phil Kramer, lead pastor of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. How's it going, Phil? Keith, we're having a great week so far, and uh, it's a joy to be on the podcast with you today. Yes, back again, and it is feeling more and more like fall every single day, and can I just say, I love it. Yeah, 90 never felt so good after several triple-digit days this summer. That's right, that's right. A little bit less humidity, which is great, Um, and all the stuff that comes with fall is so exciting, Um, none other than uh, NFL kickoff weekend how'd your Buccaneers do they won man they went to Minnesota and they they beat them so Baker Mayfield did his job and uh the Bucks did a pretty good job up in Minnesota yeah how about uh, the Titans oh let's not talk about that <laughs> that's a sore sore subject uh, but uh, they didn't fare so well uh but yeah so exciting uh time of year for sure um just all kinds of things going on great weekend here at the church as we continued our series uh word wars uh, talking about digital words, is that right? Yes, digital words. There are some things we need to delete uh, and some things we need to share in our lives digitally. Speaking of sharing, the podcast would be a great one for folks to share, right? So that's a way that they could uh, have a digital reach. Is that's that right? right. Click on that subscribe button and the bell icon. Oh, wait a minute. That's YouTube. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong platform. That's right. That's right. So, but I do think that they can share the links on Spotify and things like that. Um, and share that on Facebook, uh, our social media posts. Uh, not not because we're trying to promote ourselves, but because we want to uh, get get out the word um, about the word, right? Uh, we want to uh, make more and better disciples even on the podcast. So uh, super excited about wrapping up that series in Word Wars. Uh, can you give us a sneak preview of what's coming this, uh, this Sunday? Hey, we're wrapping up the series this Sunday, Keith, uh, with a great message entitled, The Greatest Word Ever Heard. Uh, And of course, I believe the greatest word ever heard is the name of Jesus. So how do we incorporate the name of Jesus into our lives uh, more effectively? I mean, after all, we we are Christians, kind of means uh, the followers of Jesus. As we see in the book of Acts, we're going to spend a little time in the book of Acts, actually a lot of time in the book of Acts this Sunday. Incidentally, as I saw this in my uh, research this week, uh, the word name, just the word N-A-M-E, name, shows up more in the book of Acts than in any other book in the entire New Testament and almost more than any other book in the entire Bible. Uh, And almost in every instance, uh, the word name in the book of Acts is associated with Jesus in some way. So they were all about the name back in those days, and that's, that's who we want to be today as well. Hey, that is really interesting. I've never actually thought about that, so I'm looking forward uh, to the message this Sunday. Hope that uh, those that are listening uh, will join us uh, either live or online or watch the replay if they listen to this after uh, after that message has already been delivered. But speaking of Jesus, we want to jump in today and really kind of take a deeper dive into what it means to be a growing follower of Jesus. You mentioned that, um, a, a follower of of Jesus. Um, you know, we hear that language a lot in church, but maybe people who are listening um, don't don't really, you know, have never really thought about what that means. So, Phil, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Is that different than just being a Christian? Well, great question, Keith, and I think in some ways it's synonymous, 
But in application and real-world delivery, I think there is a difference. Uh, the word Christian, of course, it is technically in the Scripture. Talk about the book of Acts. You know, they, they were first called Christians in Antioch. So that is a, a legitimate uh, label for someone who is a believer and a follower in Jesus. The challenge is that in the Western world, especially in the United States, and especially in the Bible Belt, uh, the word Christian has more social connotation than it really does theological or spiritual connotation for a lot of people. Uh, so that people could say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Uh, almost, there's almost a synonymous level in some places between if I'm an American, I'm a Christian. You know, or it, it's more of a, a, a no, well, you, you hear people talk about being a nominal Christian, right? I'm a nominal Christian. That means, oh, yeah, I would call myself a Christian, but they may not have any clues to what it means to actually follow Jesus, place their faith in Jesus. For example, when I was a kid, I would have called myself a Christian. Yeah, of course I'm a Christian. I go to church every Sunday. Never mind that I didn't live it at all. And, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, now, what you noticed probably about 10 years ago, 10 to 15 years ago, you, you begin to notice that some churches, usually that leaned a little more contemporary, uh, some churches begin to use labels such as Christ follower. I'm a Christ follower. You know, we, we, we want to see Christ followers. So they, they tried to distance themselves from the word Christian, not because the, 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 the thought behind it is bad, but it had just become a word that was almost associated with this cultural manifestation of Christianity rather than a true, passionate, love, uh, and, and theologically rich follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, so when you think about it, cultural Christianity, a great, great passage is Matthew 3, where John the Baptist is uh, baptizing, and a lot of people were coming to him. A lot of these Jews were coming to him to be baptized. And beginning in verse 8 of Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So these people were coming and they're saying, oh yes, we want to get our religion on. Yes, we want to go all in for God and all this. And he said, well, that's fine, but you need to bear some fruit to back it up. But then check this out. He, he, he kind of contrasts that very sharp command, bear fruit in keeping with repentance with a cultural religion of their day. Not cultural Christianity because Christianity didn't exist, but it was cultural Judaism. Verse 9, he says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That would be like someone saying today, I'm a member of First Baptist Church. I, 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 got, I got baptized when I was a kid. You know, all of these markers that may or may not mean squat, you know, in terms of what's really going on in that person's life spiritually. And, of course, people at Crossgate Church have heard me talk about what I call the Garland County Assumption. Uh, the Garland County Assumption is that, well, of course, everyone's saved in Garland County, meaning Garland County, Arkansas, because we are here in the Bible Belt, and almost everybody grew up going to church in one capacity or another, and so many people prayed a, a prayer of some kind, the sinner's prayer when they were a child. Maybe they got baptized with a child. But when you look at their life over the last 10, 20, or 30 years, there's no fruit in keeping with repentance. They say they repented of their sin. They say they were saved, but there's no evidence, right? And so that's, in a nutshell, as best as I can say, that is a manifestation of cultural Christianity. Over and against what it means to truly follow Jesus as your Lord, that means you're going to obey him. 
Okay, let me play a little trick on you, Keith, okay? The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recite it, and then you tell me what part of it I've left out, okay? Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them to obey, excuse me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. What word have I left out? That That is tricky, um, and that it's very subtle. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say you left out the word obey. Yes, you get a sonic gift card, Pastor hey. Keith. Okay, yes. Jesus did not say simply to teach them what I have commanded you. He said teach them to obey what I have commanded you. And so the obedience piece is the distinction between someone who has said, oh, yeah, I had experience. Oh, yeah, yes, sir, I'm saved. But if there's no fruit in keeping with repentance, they don't have a spiritual leg to stand on. They're not following Jesus. Yeah, wow, that that is uh, pretty profound. And, you know, you're right. Uh, as someone who grew up in the South, um, you know, I was in that same boat um, as far as, you know, my family would have considered themselves Christians. And so I kind of considered myself a Christian. And I've met a lot of people who have, have said that. Um, but, you know, I think a great question that I would love to ask someone who claims to be a Christian is, why are you a Christian? Um, and, and that is, uh, you might get all kinds of different answers. Um, but you talked about how following Jesus is different. Now, if someone has committed to following Jesus, how might their life look different than, than what, you know, the society might consider normal? Is there a difference? Well, I, I think there certainly would be because Jesus was so unique. He, he, was, he was unbelievably unique. He was the God-man. He was just as much God as if he were not man at all. He was just as much man if he was not God at all, right? So that puts him in a category of one. And yet he calls his followers to be like him or to use our language at Crossgate Church to live and love like Jesus, for example, Matthew 10, verse 25. Uh, Matthew 10 is, is the great discipleship chapter where Jesus calls his disciples and then he sends them out and gives them instruction. But one of the things he says in Matthew 10, 25, he says, it is enough or it is sufficient for a student to be like his teacher or a servant to be like his master. Right. So right there, Jesus is saying, yes, you need to become like me. I mean, that's like the whole point of being a disciple. And that's not just a Christian disciple. There was other teachers that had disciples in those days, and they would follow them. They would, he would gather the, his disciples and teach them and train them, and, and it was their goal to become like the teacher, right? So for one thing, we, th this unique God-man who, who, who is our teacher, who is our master, uh, we want to follow him as disciples and become more like him to live and love like Jesus. And by the way, that's the expectation throughout the Scripture, certainly in the New Testament, that the people who claim to be followers of Jesus ought to walk as Jesus walked. So, for example, again, 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, all right, so here you go. All these cultural Christians out there in Garland County if you say, yes, sirree, I'm saved. I, listen, I was talking to a guy not too long ago, and, and he specifically said, yeah, I don't really go to church anywhere, and I'm not, you know, I'm not into all this and so forth, but I'm saved. Oh, yeah, I'm saved, right? Okay, so that's the same thing as saying, I know him, meaning I know God, I know Jesus. Verse 4, 1 John 2, whoever says, I know him, 
but does not keep his commandments is a liar. That's some thorny language. Whoever says, I'm saved, but they don't keep his commandments, that person is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly uh, the love of God is perfected. Now check this out, verse 5 and 6. By this we may know that we are in him. Okay, so if you want to, if you want to know whether you're truly in Jesus, you're truly a, a born-again disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, here we go. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, I will tell you, I don't perfectly walk just like Jesus, but it is a, a burning desire of my heart to live and love like Jesus and, and, and to become more like Jesus and, and to grow as a follower of Jesus. That's the evidence. That's the fruit. And I will tell you, there's a hard line of distinction between the people who are all in for Jesus and the people who are simply just hanging out on the periphery. Yeah, that that's so true. Um, and so, so here's the here's the question that I have. If if that's the expectation that we we walk after Jesus, we follow Him. Um, why are why are, why do we struggle so much with doing that, Phil? Uh, what are some things that often hinder or distract someone from following Jesus, myself included? Uh, because I, you know, it, it is it's not easy. Yeah. So. On the, one, on the one hand, I would give three broad categories that we see throughout the New Testament, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, so, someone has basically said that the world, the flesh, and the devil, that's the external foe, the world, the internal foe, the flesh, and the infernal foe, the devil. And all three of those form what I would call the axis of evil, you know, so that you have multiple layers of opposition to to anyone who wants to follow Jesus. So yes, Jesus said, take up your cross daily. And all three of those, uh, you, you can't possibly overcome the world, the flesh, or the devil unless you're willing to be crucified uh, with Christ. Now, that said, as I was saying that, I'm flipping over to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is a famous passage for disciples where it talks about some of the specific things that, that keep us from bearing good fruit. Uh, and Jesus gave the parable of the sower. That's where the sower goes out and he scatters the seed and some of it lands on uh, you know, one type of soil and another type of soil. And in some cases, the birds come if, they, if it lands on the path and they eat up the seed. Some of it falls on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. It springs up, but then it dies because it doesn't have the depth of soil. And, uh, and other seed fell among thorns, and that type of thing. So there's all kinds of things that are clamoring, clamoring for our attention. Uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil would, would, I mean, would keep us from even the basic steps of following Jesus. Now that said, I mean, just I think knowing the fact that, that there is opposition is one of the most important things for a follower of Jesus because some people just waltz right into this proposition and say, all right, man, it's all going to be good. I'll just... I'll just kind of tiptoe through the thing, and it'll, it'll be a good time. But the fact is, there's going to be opposition, and so for us to understand that and understand how it's manifested either through the world, the flesh, the internal enemy, uh, or, or the devil. I mean, there, you know, Jesus, what, what was it? Um, I'm, again, I'm just quoting off the top of my head now, but isn't it 1 Peter 5, 8 that says, Be, be on the alert. Uh, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
Yeah, it is definitely a battle. And I, uh, I remember hearing a great illustration about that, that, uh, that painted this picture of these two armies that were on a battlefield and uh, they were facing off against uh, each other and one of them attacked the other, but the one that was getting attacked did not realize mm. that they were getting attacked and just how absurd that, that seems. Uh, but to your point, uh, we, we have to acknowledge that we are in a battle and, and these things are coming together to try to distract us, to hinder us, uh, to get us to, to stop following Jesus. Yeah, even even this Sunday, I mean, I was talking to uh, men and women out there. I said, look, if you're married, you got to realize there's a giant target on your back. I mean, the devil has aimed all the artillery of hell against you, whether you realize it or not, and would love to wreck and ruin your marriage, not least because marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. And I can't think of anything the devil would want to destroy more than that. Yeah, absolutely. That is so true. And in a minute, we're going we're gonna to talk about some practical ways that, that we can you know fight that battle uh, more effectively. But let me ask you this. Maybe somebody is listening and they're saying, you know, I've really struggled or am struggling with following Jesus. You know, I'm not perfect, or maybe they've strayed um, for a while or um, whatever it may be. If someone um, struggles following Jesus or they've strayed, does that mean that they're not saved? How should they think about that? Well, first of all, it's, it, the, the great thing about God's grace is that God does not call us to perfection. Uh, we, we don't have to walk perfectly. And as a matter of fact, the Bible specifically says if anyone, meaning a Christian, if anyone who's a Christian says they never sin, they, I mean, they, they don't even know what they're talking about, right? So God makes a provision there, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, and he's writing this to Christians, if we confess our sin, uh, he, meaning God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, but But even then... I like to go back to, for example, we did our Romans 8 teaching series uh, this um, over this past summer, and we talked about, among other things, how Jesus uh, is seated at the right hand of the Father and, and ever lives to make intercession for us. You know, I mean, we, we have Jesus on our side. He is our lawyer. If the devil ever comes against us and accuses us of sin, we have G- if we're willing to confess it and uncover it and repent of it, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, I mean, Jesus is our lawyer. He's our advocate. And guess what? His dad is the judge. Yes, the, the ruling and the entire court proceedings are absolutely fixed in our favor, right? The, the devil is the prosecutor. will never be able to bring a charge. Well, Romans chapter 8, who will bring a charge against God's elect, right? So, but here's the other cool thing. Jesus, in Hebrews 7.25, it says that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, right? We talk about the doctrine of eternal security. Some people describe it as once saved, always saved. But I will tell you, if if you have truly been saved and regenerated by by God's grace and God's power, uh, Jesus will save you to the uttermost. Now, most preachers at some point in time or another have used that phrase and they've kind of done a wordplay on it and they'll say, Jesus will save anybody from the guttermost to the uttermost, meaning Jesus will save even the worst of people. Well, that's not really what that verse means, although Jesus certainly will save the worst of people. To save to the uttermost simply means that Jesus will keep us saved. If we have been saved, he will keep us saved. Uh, So the idea of of being able to lose your salvation if you've truly received it, I just don't see that in the Bible. For example, at least three different places, we're told that the Holy Spirit, which we receive upon our, our conversion, our salvation, 
when we trust Christ, is a down payment, is a seal that is a, that is a guarantee until the day of redemption. So there's, there's multiple layers of goodness in the New Testament that talk about followers of Jesus who've truly been regenerated when, when they stumble, when they fall, when, when, when they sin, uh, there, there is an absolute prevailing mercy from God. Yeah, and thank God for his mercy. Um, so as we talk about salvation, as we talk about um, what it means to follow Jesus, it, you know, we talk about salvation, a lot of times we think of it as, you know, a, a moment in time where we make a decision to follow Christ. But it sounds like it, there's also a continuous process or a journey that's involved with that as well. Um, is that right? How does, how does that work together? So this is a great question as well, Keith, because sometimes I would say evangelical Bible-believing Christians tend to recoil when someone suggests that salvation is a process, right? Because, because there are some people in the Christian tradition over the last 2,000 years who will say salvation is a process and that God kind of does his part, but then we kind of do our parts too. It's almost like God makes the down payment and then we make monthly installments on our salvation. Uh, and that's, not, that's just not true. However, in the New Testament, you see three tenses, grammatical tenses connected with salvation. Uh, so first of all, you see the past tense, you were saved. Then we also see the language of you are being saved. And then we also see the language of you will be saved. Now, in, in you know, the theological circles, we tend to describe those three tenses as justification that's, that's what takes place at your point of conversion. When you trust Jesus Christ, uh, you know, the um, uh, Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, right? So I was saved, past tense, in April of 1990 when I trusted Christ. But at the same time, there's also this process of what the Bible calls sanctification, where you are uh, being transformed daily to be more like Christ. This is the, the living and loving like Jesus uh, process, right? So in a sense, it's a process, but not the process of getting your salvation settled and that, that once and for all process of justification. And then there's also this glorification. One day we will be saved. You know, when, when, when we are transformed in, into Jesus's likeness in this, this unbelievable uh, experience that, that's described even in surface terms in 1 Corinthians 15, this process of being glorified uh, at, at the final resurrection, I mean, there, there's a future tense to it as well. Now, that said, there's a process. You know, the idea that someone uh, prayed a prayer to receive Christ years ago, and now they pretty much have remained the same person over the last 20 years, that person, I, I don't think there's evidence that they were ever saved in the first place. But if someone is saved, they will be continuing on uh, I think it was Eugene Peterson who said that, that the Christian life is basically a long obedience in the same direction, right? So that there, there is a process of growing, uh, and again, that's, that's why we highlighted to be a growing follower of Jesus, not a stagnant follower of Jesus, but a growing follower of Jesus, uh, and, uh, and that's our definition of a disciple. Yes, absolutely. A growing follower of Jesus. So we're almost out of time for today, but real quick before we go, um, what are some very practical ways that folks can invest in their, their spiritual growth? If they want to continue following Christ, whether they've been following him for 30 minutes or 30 years, 
what are some things that they can invest in that will help them continue to follow Christ faithfully? Well, I hope our listeners aren't hoping for me to uh, share some earth-shaking information here because, uh, I mean, it is, it's an open secret. Uh, the, the Bible, it's not some hidden mystery in the Bible in terms of how we grow. Uh, you know, even I think about that little Sunday school song that, that, that children have been taught over the years. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 right? So yes, but here's the thing. We, we talk about that in an abstract term too often, but to talk about the specific contexts where it takes place, okay, just for example, I'm going to put one example out here, and you're going to be bringing a message on this on September 24th, okay? I just met with my D group this morning. Normally we meet on Sunday nights, but we had another event on Sunday night, so we had a little get-together this morning. We did hear journals. Uh, we, we, we read five different psalms this week and did a hear journal entry on each one of those psalms. We also memorized some scripture. We got together, shared prayer requests, and held each other accountable, did some accountability questions. Uh, so there was a context there uh, that... A context that I take for granted now, but that wasn't always a part of my life, wasn't always a reality. So I would say if someone wanted to truly be a growing follower of Jesus, they need to join a discipleship group, a D group for short. Uh, and that, we, we offer those at Crossgate Church. we got some new ones coming up. But I don't want to steal your thunder, brother, because on September 24th, man, you're going to go all in on, uh, on discipleship and D groups. Yes, and I am looking forward to that. Cannot wait. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time today, Pastor Phil. Uh, it's been great and looking forward uh, to the next time. Well, thanks, Keith. I appreciate it. God bless. And I hope the Titans do a little better for you next Sunday. Hey, me too. Thank you so much. Have a great one. Take care. Thank you for listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, join us on our website, crossgate.org.